The World Economic Forum had a lot of public events for all to see, but there was also a lot happening behind closed doors. And True North was there on the ground to get a window into what went down. Welcome to a special edition of The Daily Brief. A quieter Davos meeting this time around, with the conspicuous absence of most G7 leaders very much noticed, although Deputy Prime Minister Christa Freeland did show up and still found a way to snub True North. Climate alarmism still reigns as the number one obsession for global elites at Davos. And we unpack their anti-oil rhetoric and prescriptions for how the common folk should be living instead. Hello Canada, it's Friday, January 20th, and this is the True North Daily Brief. I'm Anthony Fury. And I'm Andrew Lawton, joining from Davos. We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. Andrew Lawton, it's great to have you back for another special edition of The Daily Brief. You're joining us from Davos, the World Economic Forum. A number of threads to talk about after it's been a couple more days of you experiencing the conference there, reporting on it, interviewing very prominent individuals. One of the leading aspects is that lots of public events happening, but as you alluded to previously, lots of sideline events as well, where perhaps some global machinations are being worked out. Yes, and this is true at many conferences. You'll always have little side discussions, people getting together because they happen to be in the same city. But in this particular case, these meetings are often leading to very real world consequences outside Davos. In fact, I spoke to one person from the World Economic Forum who said that is a feature and not a bug, that oftentimes leaders can speak here in a bit more informal a way before some of the formal negotiations come around in things like the COP conferences for climate or or other things a little bit down the road. So by design, this is a, a form of multilateral diplomacy that's being run by a private non-government organization. Did you get a sense of the ratio of open events to private events and the sense of who these individuals were, what was happening? Is it comparable to having a sideline event at the United Nations, the degree of scheming that was in fact going on? It's tough to say. I mean, there were people that I was trying to interview that said they had to get off to a meeting, and you don't know if they're saying that just to get away from you or because they actually have a meeting. I saw the CEO of a Canadian bank pop into the Citibank building because he said he had a meeting there. Mary Ng, who is Canada's trade minister, she actually was not in a discussion that originally I think they wanted to have her in because she had, I was told, a pre-existing bilateral. I don't know with whom, I don't know about what. So the whole point of it is that this subterranean Davos experience, it's actually not something that I know the size of, just because none of it is public and none of it is published. And I should say that doesn't mean it's necessarily sinister, but it is avoiding scrutiny by design. Andrew, tell us for a moment about those individuals who showed up to give scrutiny to the event. People who were from other NGOs, not-for-profits, activists who said, hey, we have some concerns here. We're not let in on these fancy meetings, but we want to make our voice heard from the outside. I actually spoke to a Dutch member of parliament who I didn't know before I ran into him on the streets. He had seen our coverage and, and came up to introduce himself. And he's not an invited guest because he's in the opposition. But he said that he's a proud anti-globalist. And he actually didn't like the discussions that were taking place in there and the effects that they have on people like him in the Netherlands and the constituents he represents. There were some independent journalists I met, a writer from the United States, a YouTuber from Japan, that have all gone there to be a little skeptical 
skeptical of this, but I was not seeing a lot of mainstream media skepticism. I wasn't seeing a lot of mainstream media scrutiny. Some countries' outlets, like in Canada, essentially ignored the whole thing. I did not encounter a single non-independent Canadian journalist there, except for one who happened to be an invited guest of the World Economic Forum, and I think that's quite noteworthy. Obviously, Davos has brought thousands of elites from all around the world, including a number of heads of government and heads of state, but not the heavy hitters. Only one G7 leader showed up for Davos, and that was the German Chancellor Olaf Scholz. No American president, no Canadian prime minister, no British prime minister. Now, that doesn't mean there weren't ministers from these countries, notably Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland and Trade Minister Mary Ng from Canada, and also delegates from other countries that were not the head of state or head of government, but still it's something that was very noticed by people in Davos. And I don't know if this is just because there are other things going on, maybe leaders are tending to inflation or other matters, or do you think that the shine is coming off Davos? What's your take on that, Anthony? Well, if I can flip it back to you, Andrew, and ask you of what the sense on the ground was about public criticism towards the World Economic Forum, because that has grown in the past couple years, as more regular folks have seen statements coming out of the various sessions, they've seen the videos posted, the lines about you will own nothing and you'll be happy, or you're all going to have to eat bugs to survive in the years ahead to fight climate change. And the WEF, I know, has gone on the defensive and it said, oh, well, that's not necessarily our position or Mr. Schwab's position. That was just something we posted on our side or things that were said at a forum. And, and, and they were in a bit of a defensive crouch. Could it be that the bloom has come off the rose such that while people really wanted to be seen at Davos originally, now it's actually seen as a perhaps something less acceptable to the general public, to your voters, so they're shying away from it more. Well, certainly cavorting with billionaires in the Swiss mountains is a hard thing to sell when there is a cost of living crisis, which most parts of the world are dealing with right now. I also think there's a question here that the World Economic Forum needs to answer, which is that what does it have to show for the last 50 years of World Economic Forum. We have all of these crises right now that they're trying to solve that they believe they can be a part of the solution to, but you could flip that around to them and say, well, hang on, if you guys are offering these solutions to these crises, why did they happen in the first place? And I, I do think it's a harder sell for politicians, but I also think more importantly, more people are paying attention to it. Even from May, when the last meeting took place to now, I've seen a significant increase in the number of people at at home in Canada that are asking questions about this. And I, I think that's true of other parts of the world as well. And I think that this thing has often been able to fly under the radar. And now that it's not, and leaders can't just jet in, have their meetings and jet out relatively unnoticed, they do have to think more critically about how am I going to sell this to my people? Now, Andrew, I do want to pick up on one aspect. You talked about how Justin Trudeau was not there. Deputy Prime Minister Christian Freeland, though, was there. And one would think there's not many media on the ground, to your point, so politicians would be able to make a bit more time for members of the media they do come into contact with, particularly ones from their own country. And yet you had an encounter with Freeland that didn't go particularly well. Take a listen to this. Hi, Minister Andrew Lawton, True North. I was just wondering if it's a conflict of interest for you to be a trustee while also a cabinet minister. Are you proud of the work? And if so, why is there an issue answering a question about it? Enjoy your panel, Minister. Andrew, tell us a bit more about what happened and also why you were asking that question of Freeland. 
Christian Freeland is a member of the World Economic Forum Board of Trustees, which, according to the World Economic Forum, means she's one of the people tasked with the implementation of the WEF mandate. Now, I think for a minister to be a board member anywhere else, whether it's a corporation or a not-for-profit or a lobby group or the WEF, is a potential conflict of interest. And I simply wanted to get her perspective on that, and she wasn't interested in answering that or any other question. Again, most people here have been very willing to speak I've had a lot of success just walking up to people and engaging them. But Christian Freeland, who I believe recognized me, uh, wanted to stay far away. And it's quite unfortunate because I've emailed her office for comment on this question in the past and have had no response. And when asked personally in Davos, uh, Minister Freeland didn't want to answer it either. One of the big topics at the panel discussions at Davos was climate, climate, climate. It's almost all they can talk about. And some of the most heated rhetoric came from United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres warning of impending climate disaster. Here's what he had to say. Some in big oil peddled the big lie. And like the tobacco industry, those responsible must be held to account. Today, fossil fuel producers and their enablers are still racing to expand production knowing full well that this business model is inconsistent with human survival. Andrew, that is quite something. We're used to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, Green Party leader Elizabeth May, saying very aggressive rhetoric, but this is almost out of the Greta Thunberg camp, what he said here. Yeah, and it was also very offensive, I think, to the oil and gas sector, what he calls the fossil fuels industry, to liken them to big tobacco and say that their business models are incompatible with human survival. If you look in a Canadian context, it's the oil and gas sector, which has often been on the cutting edge of a lot of the uh, transformations that the government states are necessary in the energy industry. And he's looking at them and saying that they're the bad guys, they're the villains. And when Davos wants to say, well, we're just a platform, we don't have a policy prescription. Well, when the Secretary General of the United Nations is coming out, and I would say declaring war on the oil and gas sector, that's something Canadians should be very offended by. Now, Andrew, a big topic back home in Canada right now is the just transition, as Trudeau calls it. And that idea, I think, originated from global cocktail circuit events like Davos, United Nations events, and so on. To what degree do these sorts of discussions and what the United Nations Secretary General says play into those domestic policies unfolding here in Canada? It is massive, and I, by my count, there have been about a dozen sessions at the World Economic Forum's meeting in Davos this year dealing directly with just transition. And the thing is, they're all talking about it as a fait accompli. They're all talking about it as something that is inevitable and something that is a necessity. And some of these sessions have been put on by private corporations, by people like KPMG, for example, and they're deciding that they want to get involved in this because I think a lot of them see big bucks in it. For example, there was a, an oil and gas CEO from Spain that spoke about uh, the need for an increased carbon tax to subsidize green energy. And I was thinking, well, that's odd. Why is an oil and gas CEO talking about that? I looked into it and saw that his company is in the process of developing green hydrogen. So he knows they're going to get a piece of those subsidies. And I think that's a big part of it here is that the companies involved in this just transition dialogue are making money from the transition. Andrew, what would you say the key takeaways are from being on the ground at Davos now that it's wrapping up? 
one of the big ones, I think, is that it's not monolithic. Not every single person with a white badge thinks the same way. I was glad to see there was a little bit of pushback, especially on the green stuff from the Hungarian foreign minister, from Professor Niall Ferguson, for example. But I think by and large, there is an agenda. And anyone who says the World Economic Forum does not have or invite a particular agenda and worldview just isn't paying attention. I think you can have very significant issues with this organization and its mandate and the discussions and policies it champions without delving into conspiratorial thinking. And I think that was why it was important to be on the ground and really put questions to people that are not used to taking them. So I'm glad I was here and I hope the True North audience enjoyed all the coverage. That's it for today. And don't forget to check in at www.tnc.news throughout the day for all the news you need to know. And if you're able, please consider supporting independent media at donate.tnc.news. Thanks for listening and have a great day.